Jesus says, and I will pray the Father, or I will ask the Father, and He, the Father, shall give you another comforter. The word comforter there is a very interesting word. In the original language, it's the word paraclete. Paraclete. It literally means one who is called alongside of us to help us, to stay with us, to encourage us, to be for us what we need and to help meet our greatest need. So Jesus says, I'm going to ask the Father. He will send another The word there is very interesting. That word is not heteros. It doesn't mean another of a different kind. It literally means another of the same kind. And Jesus is saying that the one that the Father is going to send, in my absence when I go away, that one that the Father will send as my replacement, we would say, to take my place, he will be just Like me. He'll be just like Jesus. He will fulfill the role that Jesus had in the lives of the believers, in the lives of Christ followers, just as Jesus had in their life. It's a very interesting point that needs to be understood if you remember Even if you take the life of Simon Peter and use this as an example. When Simon Peter was with Jesus, he was able to do extraordinary things. Things that even some of the other apostles never even dared to do. A couple of those things were, he was the one who responded to Christ to Jesus' question about whom do men say that I am. And Simon Peter is the one who responded and said, well, we believe that you're the Christ, you're the Messiah, you're the Son of the living God. It was Simon Peter who, as Christ was walking on the water to come to where they were on the tempestuous sea, it was Simon Peter who took the initiative and asked for permission to get out of the boat and walk to Jesus. And none of the other disciples even dared do that. It was Simon Peter who, in just a few hours, is going to draw his sword In an attempt to defend Jesus, he's going to draw his sword and try to defend Christ and stop the officials from arresting Jesus. And he, remember, takes a swipe and he must have been terrible because Malchus ducks out of the way and Simon Peter, instead of cutting off Malchus's head, he cuts off his ear. What you see in Simon Peter when Jesus was around is the exact opposite of what we see in Simon Peter when Jesus was not there. You see, when Jesus was there, when Simon was in the presence of Jesus, he manifested a boldness and a courage that he did not have in himself. He was affirmative. He was courageous. 
He was not scared. He was not afraid. He was not scared to step out of the boat. He was not scared to speak up. He was not scared to draw his sword and take a stand and defend Jesus. Why? Because Jesus was right there with him. But fast forward an hour. You take Jesus away from Simon Peter and what happens? He collapses emotionally. His fear is at an all-time high. His boldness runs away and hides. No longer is he the one who will stand up when no one else will. No longer is he the one that will get out of the boat even though he's getting out by himself. He cowers like a scared little dog and wants to go hide. He's the one that says, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm just going to quit the ministry that Jesus has left for us. And I'm just going to go back to fishing. He's the one who three times, even though when Jesus told him that he would do this, he even rebuked Jesus and said, no, Lord, I'm not going to do that. He's the same Simon who denied Jesus three times because he was scared. What was the problem? Here's the problem. Look at me. Jesus was not there with him. When Jesus' presence was there, Simon Peter felt like he was bold as a lion. But when in his mind Jesus was gone, it was a different story. That's why on the day of Pentecost... That's why you see Simon Peter again transformed into a different man. You see that same boldness, that same boldness that Simon had getting out of the boat and the same boldness that that Simon had when he spoke up for the Lord and the same boldness that Simon Peter had when he drew a sword and lopped off the ear of Malchus. You see that same boldness as he stands up in the middle of thousands of people and 50 days earlier he was embarrassed to be known as a follower of Jesus. Now he's unashamed and doesn't care who knows. And he preaches a gospel message. And 3,000 people are converted. Just a few chapters later, when he's threatened with imprisonment, if he doesn't stop preaching and doesn't stop using the name of Jesus, that's why you see Simon Peter saying that we must obey God rather than men. And he and John are beaten and arrested for preaching in the name of Jesus Where on earth did that boldness come from? It came from one place, and one place only. It did not come from himself. It did not come from the other apostles. It came because what Jesus says here in verse 16, that he would send another just like him. And that's the Holy Spirit. That's the paraclete. That's the comforter. And Jesus said, look at back at verse 16. I will give you, he will give you another comforter just like me. One who will come alongside of you. That 
he may be, that he may abide with you forever. The comforter, the paraclete, the Holy Spirit will never ever leave you. I am going away, Jesus said. I am being crucified. I'm going to die tomorrow. You're going to watch my life, my physical life end. And then I'm going to my Father. But notice what he says, verse 17. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him. For he dwelleth with you. Watch this. In other words, he's with you right now. And he will be, he shall be. Notice the word. In you. Where did that happen? Where was that fulfilled? We know that was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. Ten days. Fifty days. Fifty days after this. They tarried in Jerusalem and prayed. 120 believers were there in an upper room. They were praying and seeking the Father. And that's when He sent the Comforter. Who wasn't just among them and around them and with them. He was in them. They became not just partners with the Holy Spirit. As Hebrews 6 talks about. They were partakers and he dwelled in them. Just as this morning the Holy Spirit of God dwells in you. And then he closes it out in verse 18. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. I will not leave you abandoned. I will not leave you alone. The word comfortless there literally is a word for orphans. I'm not going to orphan you. I am told that there are nearly half a million children in America that are a part of our foster care system. They're living in some type of environment, whether it be a child, uh, an orphanage, or in foster care here in our country. I have a dear friend. We were best friends growing up. He is a pastor now. He pastors in a little town in Alabama called Millport, just across the Mississippi-Alabama line. He's a teacher, bivocational pastor. His name is Nick. Nick was orphaned and abandoned by his own mother when he was 10 years old. He has written about that, and in his chronicling of that, he lets us know how devastating, how emotionally hurt, confusing, debilitating it was when his mother left. Nick was born here in our state. Lived for a good bit of his life. His his biological father was in the military. Stationed at Fort Bragg. There was a divorce. His mother bounced around from relationship to relationship. A typical story. 
least in our culture and in our country now. She ended up fathering two more children by different men. Her boyfriend at the time this occurred was a migrant worker. And they moved from Fayetteville to Lee County, Sanford, and they moved to a migrant camp. He was 10, his little brother was 7, and the newborn infant, the little, little baby brother, was just a few weeks old. On a Sunday night, he remembers that his mother and her boyfriend had an argument that the boyfriend had been unfaithful to his mom. And he writes, and the next morning, Monday morning, in August of 1982, I was awakened by my mother's boyfriend asking me where my mother was. I had no clue that she was even gone. She bolted. She just left. She didn't tell a soul. When it finally occurred to me that she was nowhere to be found, I immediately began to feel sick to my stomach. And I started weeping for her. She was all we had. And she was gone. My middle brother, who was seven, was just confused. And really didn't understand what was going on. I remember a man coming to the migrant camp, the farm, to tell us that the Department of Social Services had been called and would be coming to get us soon. I remember him saying that We could no longer stay on that farm. We were finally picked up by two social workers, and they took us to the DSS office in Sanford. I remember sitting on the steps of that building and watching and waiting for my mother to come back. I cried all day long. She never came back. You asked me how I feel, how I felt that morning. That day, he said, I felt lost. I felt incredibly abandoned. I felt unloved. I felt unwanted. I felt worthless. I felt rejected. I felt scared. I felt the worst instability and insecurity that anyone could ever feel. I felt like at the time my life was completely over. In that moment to me, death could not have been any worse. I had questions. Where did my mama go? Why did she leave? Why did she not want us anymore? Why didn't she even say goodbye? Would she ever come back to get us? I'll never forget that day for as long as I live and with the exception of seeing her in court two years later in the spring of 1985 we never saw her again. That summer Monday morning in August of 1982 we were picked up taken to DSS And that evening split up and put in a children's home and then foster homes where we would stay until we were adopted by three different families. As I read those words, I don't have the ability to even be able to understand all that my dear brother felt. Some of y'all do because you've been there. But I want you to know that that's what Jesus was saying to his disciples. I'm not 
going to do that to you. That's what he said. I'm not going to abandon you. I'm not going to leave you orphans. I know you're stunned. and, 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 And guys, I've been telling you for three and a half years that this, my whole life, was going to end this way, but I know you weren't able to retain it. But now that I'm crystal clear, I am going away. And I know you're scared, and I know you're fearful, and I know you're confused, and I know you don't know what to do, but I'm going to tell you this, and I want you to hear me. That's what Jesus is saying. I want you to hear me. I'm not going to leave you abandoned. (laughs) I'm going to send the paraclete. He will be for you and in you exactly what I've been for three and a half years for you. I want you to notice quickly this morning what I call the personal relationship. If you're still with me, say amen. Amen. Notice verse 17. Jesus said that the world cannot receive the spirit of truth. The world cannot receive this comforter Because it sees him not, neither knows him. I want you to understand with me this morning that only true believers have the comfort and fellowship of the Holy Spirit. I didn't say that only believers are convicted by the Holy Spirit. Thank God that's that's not true. Lost people, unsaved people are convicted by the Holy Spirit and we'll talk about later on in the messages about the conviction of the Holy Spirit of God. He says down here later on in the same uh, section here that the Holy Spirit came to convict the world. But ladies and gentlemen, listen carefully. Unsaved people are not partakers. They're not partners with the Holy Spirit of God. Lost people don't possess the Holy Spirit But believers do, hallelujah. Christians do. Christians are indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. And Jesus said that there's a personal relationship because you are in Christ that you have with the Holy Spirit. The world does not know Him. The world does not receive Him. The world does not have or possess the Holy Spirit of God. But you do as a child of Jesus. You do. You're a possessor of the Holy Spirit. and He dwells within you. But notice secondly in the text in verse 16. What I call the practical role. What exactly as the paraclete does the Holy Spirit do? Well that's a very interesting word. And it literally was used in three different ways in the New Testament. It was used in 1 John 2.1 to refer to a legal advocate, the paraclete, the one called alongside. It refers to someone who is a legal advocate. Uh, John says there, my little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. And if any man does sin, we have an a paraclete. Same word. We have an advocate, a paraclete with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous there. We see that the Holy Spirit, let's apply it, the Holy Spirit is in so many ways our advocate, our representative for a a defense 
before the Father, the Holy Spirit, in so many situations, in so many ways, pleads our case before the Father. For our lack and our need and our inability, the Holy Spirit is there to plead our cause. So it's used as a legal advocate. It's also used to refer to a prayerful intercessor. In Romans chapter 8 verse 26, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. The word there is an interesting word. The Spirit, the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, He helps. In other words, He lends a hand. That's what it means. He holds up an end of the burden that we can't handle. That's literally what it means. It's the idea of two men who have to hoist something above their heads or hold something up. And one man alone is not sufficient to do it. It's a bulky thing. It's large. It's heavy. And he can't do it by himself. And here comes another who comes to his aid and comes alongside of him. And he grabs the other end and they hoist it up together. That's what the word means. It means that the Holy Spirit, he helps us when we cannot. And he's speaking in prayer. When we're overwhelmed with the burden of prayer. He comes. He helps us. Our infirmities, our feebleness. Feebleness of mind. Feebleness of speech. Have you ever been before the Lord in prayer? And just honestly before the Lord gang. You didn't know what to pray. You didn't even know how to articulate or put into words. Not only... What you wanted to, but even what you were feeling. You didn't even know what to ask for necessarily. The Holy Spirit is the one who comes and He helps us in those moments. He says that we know not what we should pray for as we ought to, but the Spirit makes intercession. The word intercession is a very powerful word and I love what it means. It means that he's somebody who he rescues someone uh, uh, who comes, uh, it's, it's somebody who comes upon or discovers someone else in need of being rescued and he jumps into action. It's like somebody who walks by a lake or a pond or some body of water and they hear a faint cry of someone out in the middle of the lake and he's drowning and this person with no regard to their own safety they jump in and they pull the person out and rescue them. That's that's what it literally means. That's what the Holy Spirit does for us, friend. He sees us drowning. He sees us struggling. And He jumps into where we are. And He intercedes on our behalf. He comes to our rescue and our aid. And He makes those groanings, the Word says. That literally means sighing. It's not an intelligible, intelligible language per se, but it's that communication. It's, 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 it's that communication that the Holy Spirit as God has with the Father as God. And there's that communion that you and I can't even begin to understand. And he makes up the difference when we don't even know what to pray for as we ought to. 
We're so burdened down. Have you ever been there? You're so hurt and so burdened down and so confused. You don't even know. You don't even know how to articulate your pain before the Lord. And he says, that's when the Holy Spirit steps in. The best prayer warrior you will ever have is the Holy Ghost of God. And then it thirdly refers, practically, the Holy Spirit is a faithful sustainer. (laughs) I'm going to send you another paraclete just like me. Someone who has come alongside of you. In 1992, there was a runner from Great Britain. His name was Derek Redmond. And he was going to compete at the Barcelona Olympics. And he did compete. And in the first, the first stage of the racing, he set an Olympic record. Now it came time for the semifinal. And he was the favored one. He was the fastest on the track and was picked by the analyst as being the fastest one. He was the favorite to win this 400-meter race in the semifinal round. 125 meters into the race, he pulls up and grabs his hamstring. And he had torn his hamstring, and he falls and collapses to the ground. And he's laying there. How many of you remember seeing this? He's laying there, and he's hurting, and he knows he's not going to win. But as a true sportsman, he gathers himself and collects himself and pushes himself up. And finally, he's able to get back on his feet. And so he begins to, on one foot, hop to try to just get to the finish line. And all of a sudden, as the cameras are set on Derek Redmond trying to finish the race, there's a man who you see bolting from the stands, (laughs) making his way past security. He has a Nike Just Do It hat and a T-shirt on with a tennis shoe at the bottom that says, Have you hugged your shoes today? His, His name's Jim. And his last name is, you guessed it, Redmond. And they share more than a last name. They share blood kin. Because that's not just some admirer of Derek Redmond. That's not just his coach. (laughs) That's not just a fan. You know who that rascal is? That's his daddy. And there's something about it. When you're young and is hurting, you don't care what the world says. If your boy is laying on that track in pain, how many of y'all know what I'm talking about? You're going to get to your boy laying on the track. Can I get a witness? Jim Redmond fought past the guards. 
and the officials. And he got up beside where his son was hobbling in his lane. And he puts his arm around his boy. You see, he was the paraclete. He came alongside of him and held him up and embraced him and steadied him. And as they're rounding the track, officials are coming up telling them, I'm sorry, you can't do that. You can't do that. You need to go back to the stands. And he looks at them. If you've ever seen the video, he says, leave me alone. (laughs) I'm his daddy. (laughs) Like, I don't care what you say. I'm the boy's daddy. An armed guards couldn't keep me from my boy right now. And I want to say this to you. That in your moment of greatest need, I want you to hear me loud and clearly. In your moments of greatest need in your life, I'm telling you as a child of God, nobody, the devil himself or a horde of demons from hell, cannot keep the Holy Spirit from coming to your aid. You ever been there? I have. I've been there just like you. Where I didn't know if I could or wanted to take my next step. And all I knew to do was say, Lord, I don't know, I don't even know what to say to you right now. I don't even know how to ask for help. I feel so low. I feel so lonely. I feel so defeated in my mind, in my spirit. Oh God, I don't even know. I don't even know what to say. And I know this may seem silly to you, and I promise you, I'm not trying at all to blaspheme the Holy Spirit in any way or to disrespect Him at all. But I almost get a sense that in those moments, the Holy Spirit says, That's what I'm here for. And I'm about to show you what I can do in your life. And I'm going to do for you what you can't do for yourself. And he helps us cross the finish line. (laughs) And do something we couldn't do without the precious paraclete, the precious Holy Spirit in our life. I close with this, what I call the powerful reality. It's very simple today. It's this truth. I, Christian Powell, I am insufficient. You, as awesome as you are, as strong as you are, as put together as you are, as wealthy as you are, as good looking as you are, as righteous as you are, you are insufficient too. You're insufficient. That means to have what we need to have and to do what we need to do and to be what all we need to be. 100% of the time, you don't have it in yourself and I don't either. 
It's a good day, dear friend, when you understand your own insufficiency. Can I get a witness? And you realize and say, I, I'm a hot mess. Short of Jesus and short of grace and short of the Holy Spirit, I'm a dumpster fire. <laughs> right? I like to act big and talk big and put on a big show, but I'm telling you, I am literally at my worst, but even at my best, I can't do what I need to do. I am insufficient. But he, thank God, is all sufficient. There's no limitation to the Holy Spirit. There's no weakness in the Holy Spirit. <laughs> the reason he can help us with our infirmities is because he has none. <laughs> and he has all the power that I need. He has all the sufficiency that I don't have. You see, I can't, but he can. And he will. He'll what, preacher? <laughs> He'll help you and do for you and on your behalf whatever you don't have the strength to do. Oh, preacher, right now I'm struggling with this in my life. Well, praise the Lord, number one, that you realize it. And number two, that you realize that you can't overcome that struggle by yourself. But with the Holy Spirit of God and His all-sufficiency, you can do whatever you ought to do. <laughs> 